0: I mean this, this means a lot to me. You don't know how hard it was to come back here. Harder than I thought, but you know what? There's a lot of dudes, Hightower, Quan, Clay, Pinion, Nelson, you guys kept me cool all day. Even Mike Anderson came out for security. It's the first time I've ever had security in (laughs) pregame. But this ball isn't about me, man. I told you last night to find your why, right? It wasn't ugly, it wasn't pretty. We won how we had to win, but we got such a high ceiling, man. And we haven't even got there yet. The cool thing is I told you to find it to get your why. Yeah. <laughs> we got four more of these. Hell yeah, let people know. So I love you guys, man. It's a brotherhood.
1: Brotherhood on three. one, two, three, brotherhood. Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name's Oscar. My name's David. And this week, it is a win Wednesday, as the 49ers are absolutely good as gold. Apparently, people love to make Jimmy Garoppolo overtly sexual in my mentions. I mean, as it should be. I think the the winner is Jimmy (laughs) G-Spot. Like, why? Like, why? Why? Why not? It's a thing. Why not? It's totally a thing. Uh, And this week, Spotify released its Year Rewind, where it plays back your top songs. Uh, David, give me your top five Spotify songs. Go. Um, so I have two from the Japan Droids album, uh, most recent one, Near
0: to the Wild Heart of Life and Northeast Southwest. Uh, Car Seat Headrest, fill in the blank. Uh, like an old national song that I guess I just happened to, to listen to a lot uh, about today. And then uh, DNA from Kendrick, because of course.
1: My question is how a veteran can support Japan music <laughs> that's, that's really what I want to know <laughs> I had no idea where you were going with that
0: when you said veteran. Uh, yeah. Well played.
1: That, my, was, that was good. By That's American. Good. I like it. By American. Uh, <laughs> all right. My, my, <laughs> my Top 5 DNA by Kendrick Lamar, Dangerous by the XX, Another Day of Sun by the La La, by the La, La Land cast, uh, better soundtrack than it was a musical, uh, another Kendrick song, Bok by Vince Staples and Salina by the Ava Brothers. Uh, that one's going to be an older one as well. So, uh, so, yeah, that's, that's our, our year in review. All right. Which, uh, I mean, sounds about right. That sums yeah. up about uh, yeah how it goes for me. All right, yeah. podcast done, Richard, Hit the <laughs> outro music. Uh, no, we are super excited because, of course, it was Jimmy Garoppolo's first start. And so we're going to come at you with the things that we think against the Chicago Bears. This game, it's going to be a lot of Jimmy Garoppolo talk because not only is he dreamy, but, and true. not only are we more than likely going to overtly sexualize him uh, as a grown-ass man, he deserves it. But let's talk about how he actually plays football. So what were the things, I think, that that jumped out that he did really, really well? I think we talked about it briefly earlier when we were looking at very, very limited snaps. But I think what jumped out was his ability to process the game. It was a small playbook, but he was still able to execute that playbook with a certain degree of decisiveness that you didn't always necessarily see with 49ers quarterbacks and especially, I mean, it's good that we were able to limit the game plan for him, but it was good that he was able to make his reads quickly. He was able to get the ball out to his receivers on target, oftentimes in stride. And he was able to take what was given to him, which is not always something you can take for granted for quarterbacks. It's something that not every quarterback can do, but Jimmy Garoppolo was able to do that on Sunday against the bears defense that, is not great, but not bad either.
0: I I think it was a lot of what you kind of alluded to there at the beginning, a a lot of what we expected, you know, from what we saw um, of kind of his strengths and weaknesses from, you know, the limited time that we got to see him when he was at New England. I thought we saw a lot of those same things go through. If if anything, like like the most impressive part of it and, and kind of I think maybe a little bit for me at least a surprising element of all of that was that we saw that in his first, you know, action, really. Um, It it was the fact that he looked still decisive um, in an offense that he hasn't been in for very long, right, that is kind of notoriously... Uh, difficult to pick up quickly, right? We There's, of course, like the famous Matt Ryan one because that's the most recent example where it took him a year to really settle into this offense. And and, and he went to Boston College. Yeah, right? Um,
1: that's, that's not like a, that's not a coast school. <laughs> that's not your backup.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it's certainly not like Matt Matt Ryan is an intelligent dude and it, you know, it took him a, a little bit to pick that up. Um, and so I, I think I expected a little bit more in the way of rough spots early, right? You know, some... Uh, you know, maybe a, a miscommunication here or there with a the receiver where, it you know, he expects a receiver to run a different route than he ends up running or, um, you know, just kind of some uh, some throws where the timing wasn't there, right? He throws it a little bit early or a little bit late compared to when the receiver breaks, and you just really didn't see any of that. You saw a lot of, um, you know, throwing uh, comfortably in rhythm, you know, and the, the timing was really great, and, and you just didn't see much in the way of negative throws, and so I thought that was, you know, probably... The most impressive part that he was able to kind of put together the the things that we saw as strengths um, from before, but do it, you know, uh, with with an offense and a playbook that he doesn't have a ton of experience with right now.
1: Yeah, we talked a little bit about it when we traded for Jimmy Garoppolo. We talked about some of the verbiage hurdles that he was going to have to jump. And as a recap, of course, he came from the Earnhardt Perkins system where their play call is going to sound something like spread right strong. 72 ghost tosser and a very, very similar, almost the identical play call. Like for like in terms of routes from Kyle Shanahan's West Coast playbook is going to be double wing right, B right, 322 scat, Y stick lion, both just about the exact same play. But you can see the verbiage differences in the West Coast offense. You're going to tell every single receiver and just about every person on, in the huddle yeah. what they're going to do with your play call. And, and in the system that Garoppolo came from, one word concepts were usually enough to get across what you needed to do.
0: And even though you have just that one, you know, the, the the single play call that is is really long there, a lot of times, you know, you're going, you know, to the line of scrimmage with multiple plays. Zach Robinson, um, who does, of course, all the, the great PFF uh, quarterback stuff, um, talked about this on the, the QB Analysis podcast. And he played, um, you know, when he was in the NFL, he played in Cincinnati under Jay Gruden. And so very similar, you know, type of language and and stuff in terms of the playbook. And he would say, like, not only do you come out with just this like 15, 20 word play call sometimes, but you got to communicate multiple of those uh, at times when you're coming up and you You got a kill call. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's, it's a lot to handle and it's, you know, the benefit of that is that everybody should know what their assignment is when they leave the huddle, right? They know what they're doing because you're basically calling out in each individual thing. Um, But it is a lot to put on the quarterback because he has to know, you know, he's, he's going out there, has to spit out these, you know, sometimes 30, 40 word play calls to get everybody on the same page and, and uh, you know, where
1: they need to be. So he was very decisive, despite the fact that he only had a limited playbook to operate with. And while he's been in the, the offense for, you know, five weeks at this point, it's not like it was the same five weeks as, tra- as training camp. I think last week or the week before we talked about how it's a different set of practice snaps. It's he's running cards. He's running the scout team offense on the other side of the ball. So, it's not like he's got the same five weeks with 90 players on the roster and a second field where he can practice and keep all the same reps. So, it was very good to see his decisiveness and his processing. I tweeted out a clip where he's actually rolling out and he looks like he's going to throw to Goodwin and he as soon as he goes to throw, you see 43 begin to sink and he pulls the ball back and he gets it back to Kittle on the underneath throw. That's probably a pick. If he releases that ball, oh, it's definitely. a kick. Yeah. But he's able to see what's happening, pull the ball back, and actually make that throw on the move. His processing is definitely there, and it's one of the things I think that we saw on tape earlier, but it's good to see that even in his limited snaps, it was still absolutely there.
0: Yeah, I mean, from a decision-making standpoint, uh, it's hard to really take much issue with uh, you, know, you know anything that he did there. I mean, I think maybe the one throw, which... Uh, the Lewis Murphy really, throw. really impressive, you know, on uh, on broadcast, I think uh, it, it was it was a little iffy. Right. Um, yeah. And it's fitting it into, you know, he's got a dude coming down, uh, you know, I think unblocked basically right in his lap uh, that he's getting this ball off and takes a hit. But he's it's it's in between like three defenders. And uh, he, there's definitely a little bit of luck involved in making that completion happen. I mean, it was uh, I guess if you're going to throw it in the middle of three defenders, that was a pretty good good spot to put it i guess if you got to try to spin that positively but i mean that was probably the one uh you know the the one decision where okay that's a little bit questionable probably don't want to force that into uh triple coverage most of the time in the middle of the field right exactly and and so i think there's a lot of uh a lot of different scenarios where that same play plays out and that's a pick or you know it gets knocked down or something like that i thought it was a pick when it left
1: his hand when I mean, when it the, looked, yeah, it the way the way the ball floated in the air, I was like, "That ball, it's in slow motion. It's it's up there too long." Right. And I thought someone was going to swoop under and pick it, and or at the very least, I thought it was going to get dropped by Lewis Murphy. But he also a reasonable, expectation. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he he makes the play, and you know, it's it's the the Niners have I think the second highest drop rate in the NFL so far this year, and the the wide receivers helped out Jimmy Garoppolo this game. And, yeah. and, I mean, you've got Marquise Goodwin who caught all of his targets. you got Trent Taylor who also caught all of his targets. Gritted his way uh, into growing his hands a couple inches. you got Lewis Murphy who's catching all of his targets. Uh, George Kittle. He was,
0: I mean, he was the one that didn't. He caught like oh, eight he, he, he yeah, he, like he, he, targets, right. basically. Yeah, he, oh. I think
1: he, uh, and then George Kittle. Uh, yeah. almost got all of his. There was one that would have been a ridiculously I mean, amazing catch.
0: Yeah, we can forgive him for that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, the, the wide there. receivers
1: were helping him out this game, not necessarily the, a courtesy that they've extended to all 49ers quarterbacks this year.
0: Um, and I think a, a part of that, you know, you do have to give a little credit to Garoppolo there, right? In in terms of uh, throwing a, a catchable ball. I mean, one of the more impressive things, he did, you know, throw a lot of, uh, a lot of underneath stuff, you know, a lot of stuff to the middle of the field um, where you're not really, you know, typically looking to, to need a lot of arm strength, right? It's, you need to have touch, you need to throw a catchable pass. And I think we saw that, you know, I uh, saw a couple times where he's able to drop it over the linebacker to somebody running across the middle. Um, and, and so definitely while, yeah, I mean, receivers stepped up. I think Marquis Goodwin, good somebody that we haven't talked about a ton recently, but um, you know, I've thought he's played kind of surprisingly well since Garcon went out um, and had guys stepping up, but definitely, you know, the type of passes
1: that he's throwing out there and where he's putting them um, certainly helps things. So let's talk a bit about his arm talent, because that's a that's a phrase that gets thrown around a lot. And I'm still not. In t- I mean, I know what it means when I use it, <laughs> but I'm not sure that everyone is aligned on what exactly that means. Right. So l- before we delve into the intricacies of Garoppolo's arm talent, let's first define what that term means. So little fun and exercise. David, what does that term mean to you?
0: I mean, to me, it means garbage uh, <laughs> to me. To me, it means <laughs> it's just a
1: pile of hot garbage. It's,
0: it's a it's a phrase that you should avoid and use better English to describe what the hell that you're seeing uh, <laughs> so that people understand it and not use this term that like has like exactly like you said, has no, uh, no agreed upon nothing. definition. It's just a it's a made up phrase. Trent Dilfer,
1: uh, I'm pretty sure, made that shit. up.
0: Definitely. Uh, I mean, it's complete jargon that that can absolutely be avoided by just, you know using if you want to say that that's you know uh, to define his arm strength just say it's his arm strength if you want to say that it's his ability to throw from multiple platforms say that it's his ability to throw from multiple platforms there's no reason to to try to sum everything up in that one phrase i mean so that's that's what it means to me
1: and those two things are discrete right because yeah. you, you can throw from different platforms very well and have a noodle for an arm and vice versa you can also have you know a, a very very strong arm and not be able to throw from different platforms so, you know, for me, I would say exactly the same thing and said, by and large, it, it's a combination of those things. It's right. a quarterback's ability to throw the ball well across a distance, whether or not they have the ability to use their lower body. Aaron Rodgers being the prime example of someone who can whip a ball without using much of his lower body in a way that seems to defy the laws of physics. Really? It really does. <laughs> and then you've got you've got the other kind of component, which is throw from multiple platforms. So if, if we take those two components and we say that's going to be, you know, his ability to to throw the football. Then I would say that we saw, by and large, pretty good. Uh, I would say his his ability to throw from multiple platforms was on display this game more so than his actual arm strength because he didn't have to push the ball down the field very, very much uh, on, on his couple of deep throws, uh, both of which I think were incomplete. Yeah. Both were to the tight end. One was an overthrow. The other was incomplete out of bounds. But by and large, I was more impressed with his ability to throw from multiple platforms, especially on that completion to Trent Taylor, where I-, I tweeted out that I thought it was his most impressive throw of the day. He's got a defender barreling down on his face, and he almost sidearms it and whips it. And he's able to get it to Trent Taylor in stride, uh, like in the middle of the field, away from a defender, but ahead of another defender. I and mean, it was just it was an amazing throw.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I completely agree. I think that was the more impressive. I, I think if I had to actually have, you know, my biggest criticism of him, uh, at this point is that we don't really see a lot of, uh, you know, great arm strength. Like you, you don't see those type of throws,
1: uh, you know, those like, like wow throws,
0: you know, I think we've kind of called them the big time throws. Right.
1: Um, I think Colin Kaepernick did a good job of hitting you with those wow throws every now and again, right?
0: Yeah, that was the thing. So, like, Kaepernick was was kind of, like, uh, you know, I think really opposite in a lot of ways in, in terms of, yeah, it was sometimes, um, you know, he would just have these throws that were just so insane. You're just like, what is, is happening here? Like, how did he possibly make that happen? Um, like you know, it was a lot throw, of downfield.
1: The one that I remember is the throw that he had to Anquan Bolden in the back of the end zone over Earl Thomas.
0: Yeah, like the jump throw, which right you're yeah. just like okay. I mean, this isn't this is just stupid. Like, why are you doing this? The I think the throw, um, you know that he had uh, in the the Bucks game to Vernon Davis on the deep post, it went like yep. seventy yards on a rope in the air. It's just yeah. like okay, what? Like that that's not supposed to be a thing that happens. Um, so you don't really see those type of throws, right? Those really really high end throws. Um, but he is. incredibly efficient at you know the easy stuff you know it it, making sure that he's not missing the stuff that's there i mean you saw a lot of um you know stuff underneath to to guys in 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 zone coverage um where it was just like you know we we couldn't always count on previous 49ers quarterbacks to make that throw even though it was something that um you know when, when you're Comparing it outside the realm of 49ers quarterback play, you're like, okay, this is just is kind of an expected throw, right? This is what you you should see from your quarterback is being able to hit those kind of throws. Um, but he does that stuff consistently, and I think, yeah, the the stuff in terms of um, you know adjusting the arm angle to get around defenders and still be able to put the ball where it needs to be uh, in the middle of the field was super impressive. Um, we just haven't really seen him have to push the ball downfield a little bit more, you know, make some. Uh, some throws outside the numbers downfield uh, that, that are you know usually the big kind of arm strength throws.
1: So if he's shown the ability to move his arm and make throws from different platforms, and we're still a little unsure about his ability to kind of zip the ball in there, but so far it didn't matter because he was taking kind of what the defense has given him, then you, the other thing that you layer on top of that is his ability to move in the pocket. And I thought his pocket movement has has been really, really good. He showed flashes of it last week in the three or four plays that he had uh, in the win, especially on the two plays that he had out of structure. And he continued that great pocket movement against the Bears in this game. One of the things that I really like that Garoppolo does is he, well, one kind of looks like Brady when he gets on the tippy toes. <laughs> but beyond that, he always maintains a wide base. One of the things that I took away from Bruce Feldman's book in Making the QB is is this idea that a quarterback is better when he's got a wider base. And Peyton Manning, who used to have a very, very narrow base when he played early in his career, actually over the course of his career, tried to widen his base to give himself a better kind of lower part of his body as he had to make throws through the top of his body. And so oftentimes what you'll see is quarterbacks do get very narrow. They do get very tall just to try to see over over the line. Garoppolo doesn't do that. He stays very wide and he resets his feet and he's constantly moving those feet. And he exhibited those great pocket skills against the Bears. And one of the plays that I thought was super interesting was the play where he had to spin away from oncoming pressure in a kind of like this reverse spin that looked very much like Tony Romo. And while that kind of caused him to miss a wide open Trent Taylor coming across on a slant, <laughs> which would have just cemented the ultimate uh, grittiest yeah. performance, uh, it, I still think that it was a very, very good way to execute his his pocket presence and his, his ability to get out of pressure. So I think that of the quarterbacks that the Niners have seen so far, between Cap, Gabbert, Hoyer, and I'm sure you know whatever other crap was many in others there, that we've forgotten at this point. Yeah, <laughs> Garoppolo has some of the best pocket presence and some of the and one of the best bases that I've seen from a San Francisco quarterback in a while.
0: I mean, absolutely. Uh, you know, I certainly. Um, wasn't, wasn't studying these guys the same way, you know, when I was, when I was younger, but I, I think it's pretty safe to say a lot of those guys during
1: like the pre Harbaugh years weren't doing that very well. Um, yeah, I would I, say Alex Smith has, has improved his base now, but when he was with the yeah. Niners, it wasn't nearly that good.
0: Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, Alex Smith obviously has improved in, in, in a lot of ways since his early years with the, with the Niners there. But, um, I think this is one of the more encouraging things because, you know, we talk about a lot, even, you know, quarterbacks don't spend the majority of their time under pressure in the NFL. You know, I think, uh, you know, league average rate is right around like the 30%, 30, 30 to 35% uh, per of the time you're getting yeah. pressured. So, right, you still need to be able to do this stuff from the clean pocket, you know, and, and work within structure of the offense and and do those things. Like, that's all still really important. But pressure is is going to happen, especially against better defenses. And and you need to be able to handle that stuff. Uh, and, and we haven't really seen... Previous 49ers quarterbacks be able to do that well, right? Even when Kaepernick was uh, playing at his best, it wasn't that he was handling that well with the w- within the pocket, right? It was his ability to kind of okay, I'm going to escape pressure, I throw pretty well on the move, and I'm going to make things happen there. Like Garoppolo kind of has the ability to do both. He he can sit in the pocket, move a little bit more subtly you know, adjust the arm angle like we were talking about and make throws there while under pressure. But then he's also got, you know, the, the kind of the Romo spin. I think uh, Wilson also does this uh, a lot, that same kind of reverse spin to, to his left. Yeah, fuck um, that guy. Does, does that a ton, um, which is, is very frustrating when, when we're playing the Seahawks. But um, you see those type of movements as well so that he can get out into space and, and uh, kind of create. Um, if things are breaking down, he doesn't have anything available to him within the structure of the
1: offense. And that's what you expect out of a quarterback in Cal Shanahan's offense. You expect for him to throw well on the move. And Jimmy Garoppolo did that a couple of times this game against the Bears. We've already talked about the play where he kind of pulls it back, pump fakes, and still gets it out to Kittle on the underneath route. But that throw to Kittle that was an incomplete pass near the end zone, even though it was incomplete, Dude. was still an amazing throw. It was an amazing throw. And if George Kittle is a little bit taller and has the feet of Julio Jones... That's a catch because that's a throw that we've seen Matt Ryan make to Julio Jones.
0: I was gonna say, yeah, I mean, Julio, like, if if uh, the one guy that comes to mind that can probably make that catch is Julio Jones, like, it's probably okay that he didn't pull it in, right? Like, uh,
1: but even and, then, it's a throw. And, I think that you yeah. that you say, yeah, that's that's a throw from a quarterback. That's like, yeah, you, you put it in a position where your dude is gonna get it, and and that's that.
0: I mean, we watch it. You can see it uh, just beautifully from the end zone angle, um, you know, on that throw and and him rolling out and it just, you know, it's over just barely the outstretched uh, arms, the defender there, like right in only a spot. And that's what you're going to do. right. That's not a a pass. That's going to be completed by anyone, a high percentage of the time, right? It's, it's a very tough throw. You're, you're just kind of hoping you can make something happen, but you're putting that in a spot on the move um, where it's, it's your guy or nobody, right? It's either Kittle's getting this and he's making some sort of amazing catch. Or it's not happening. It's incomplete. Yeah. We live to play another down.
1: And the thing for me, too, is that he throws and was able to throw at multiple different velocities in this game. He exhibited a lot of touch on a couple of throws where he's able to, like the, the throw that I, that we talked about where he misses, uh, I think it was Selleck on the corner route. Mm-hmm. He's able to read the defender's leverage and the defender's on, you know, kind of the down shoulder. So he throws at the up shoulder and he leads him up the field and he tries to almost arc it in. To the tight end.
0: Yeah, definitely one of those like, you know, the, the bucket throws. Yeah, right? it's a
1: bucket throw. And I, for me, that always reminds me of Horace Grant, right? It, maybe it's because it was in Chicago. I don't know. But Horace Grant always had that rainbow shot where it was like it was it, it just like like it was too high for anything. And there's like, oh, look, he made it. It's Horace Grant. He's got goggles. You know, it happens. Um, but but he he's one of those, you know, he was able to throw softly. He was able to throw with velocity you know, t- on the out the, the I think the third the first third down he completed to Marquise Goodwin it was one of the one yeah. of the only passes that he completed outside the numbers beyond 10 yards downfield uh, was another throw that I thought like, OK, he knows he's got to get it out there with zip. He does it on time, hits it with zip, and then he comes back and he kind of takes some off of it to get to the tight end, drop it in the bucket. Um, you know, I, I feel like he's able to have multiple throws in his arsenal. Right. Which isn't always something that we've seen from quarterbacking in San Francisco.
0: Definitely, I, I think the the thing, and that kind of reminded me too with the the Goodwin throw. There is, um, you know, something that we haven't really seen is that ability to throw. Because again, the arm strength, like he he doesn't have that kind of top end arm strength, right? We're not going to see him make. He doesn't have throws in his arsenal that Cam Newton has in his arsenal, right? Because the, the he just has like a, this absurd arm, so he has a little bit more. Like what that arm strength does. Is give you more room for error, right? You can yeah. be a little bit late on that throw because you got the extra zip to get it there, right? Um, Garoppolo isn't really that guy. There's enough zip; like he doesn't have a bad arm by any stretch, but he throws more with anticipation, right? It, it, it's this ability to throw on time, to see defender or to, excuse me, to see receivers coming open really before they're they're quite there. Like you look at that Goodwin throw on you know that that comeback route, and it's. Um, the ball is being released before, like, right about it, he's about to make his break, right? And if that throw with his arm is any later than that, like, it's at least getting knocked down. Oh, Kyle clearly. How is getting there, if not picked off, right? If he throws that even a, a half second later. Um, so that's kind of the, oh, the a thing. A half too. second
1: is an eternity. Um, and, and a half second, yeah. that's a pick six. Yeah. Easy.
0: And um, well, the other, the, other nice thing on,
1: the other thing on that throw, too, that you pointed out when we were watching film last night was the fact that Garoppolo held the hook defender with his eyes. So yeah. on, on that first throw where he completes that third down to Marquise Goodwin and, and Koffler almost gets there, he, uh, what Garoppolo does is he drops back as he looks right at the hook defender and the hook defender doesn't know where to go because if that hook defender continues to sink, he can disrupt the pass uh, because he's right in the angle of the throw straight to Goodwin. So by staring at the hook defender, what Garoppolo does is he gives himself enough of a window to get it out to goodwin the ball placement is perfect it's on goodwin's outside shoulder and it's thrown on time after a hitch cow fuller cannot get there even though he breaks on the ball and it's a pass that's completed as opposed to a pass that's broken up or a pass that's intercepted or a pass that the underneath defender can get under simply because he wasn't manipulated with the quarterback size
0: yeah and, and we saw that a few times you know with him being able to kind of hold defenders and um you know, do things like he certainly from a mental level, like in the ability to kind of understand what defenses are doing, recognize coverages quickly after the snap and and kind of hold the defenders to free up his guys. Like I think obviously still very early, but I think the returns there have been really, really good in something that we haven't. Um, seen in San Francisco for a while.
1: All right, so we've got to move on because we still have other parts of the game to talk about. But were there any parts of the game that you thought were bad? I, I know that he had two negatively graded throws. One of them was his very first throw. Uh, we'll call it the jitters. You just yeah, got to get the jitters That just out. came
0: out of his weird. That was It strange. did. It's, um,
1: uh, we'll call it the ghost of Alex Smith. And, and then, of course, you've got the missed deep corner to the tight end. Uh, and then I think, oh, no, his third uh, negatively graded throw was the one where he threw behind Hyde in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Um, So outside of that, was there anything else that you saw that gave you pause that maybe said like, Oh, I don't know. That's something to keep an eye on later. No, I think it really,
0: it's, it are at a point still where, again, we're trying to still see those high level throws. Um, You know, I think that's the thing that's kind of been missing from, from the arsenal so far. Um, But everything, you know, kind of was as advertised here. I think again, to sum it all up, it was, it was throwing, uh, on rhythm with good timing and anticipation there, um, you know, being able to adjust the arm angle to get around defenders and, and being able to handle that pressure well and, and make accurate throws. Um, and then, again, reading and, and kind of understanding the mental aspect of it, being able to to recognize coverages quickly, find the right guy, get the ball out and, and put it in a good location uh, with with enough touch that makes it catchable.
1: So overall, I would say if you're looking for the better rivals' overall impressions for Jimmy Garoppolo, is this the best quarterback play? Granted, in one limited samples that we've seen since 2013, yeah, absolutely. It's a definitely a positive start. But let's not crown the guy, right? Like he's no Aaron Rodgers yeah. right now. It was still one start. It was a very, very positive start. Yeah. What you were what you were hoping to prevent was a complete trash start. And, and we avoided that entirely. Still some things we're looking for. We're looking for some more high-level throws. We're looking for what happens when he has to go up against elite defenses or when he's got to make more throws where he's got to rely on his arm strength. And we'll see what happens as the season progresses. But overall, I think I was super happy with it. My wife is super happy that, there's a, <laughs> that there is another hot quarterback under center in San Francisco. Yep. Uh, she was not a fan of uh, Hoyer's looks. Or Gabbert, I thought she would be a Gabbert fan, but no, no, uh, no. Not she
0: likes lead singer of Nickelback.
1: No, no, no she's not, not a Nickelback fan. Not
0: so much there. No, okay. she's very. She was
1: very much uh, on on the Cap train and and very much on the Garoppolo uh, on the Garoppolo train. Yep. Yeah. Sounds uh, about right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so the other thing that we think in this game, of course, we couldn't escape this talking about this game without talking about the red zone offense. And really, what we think is that. If only we had Chip Kelly's red zone offense, I think we'd <laughs> be much better off. G- coming into the game, the team ranked 25th in touchdowns per red zone trip. They scored a touchdown about 48% of the time when they got in the red zone. Last year, with arguably worse talent and arguably worse scheme, definitely an argument, uh, the 49ers finished the year second in the NFL in the same statistic. They scored a touchdown on 68 68- percent of their red zone trips which is kind of crazy right it's
0: like hey there weren't necessarily a ton of red zone
1: trips but but they made a count when they got there so so let's talk a little bit about what happened in the series specifically in the Bears game because you you look at what happened kind of series by series and on the first drive the pitch is blown up because Carlos Hyde can't he kind of fumbles a snap but also the Bears did something kind of interesting with their formation which we're going to talk about here in a little bit uh, and then you eventually end up in a third and goal from the 15. Then on the next drive, you've got Trent Taylor on the slant, but pressure forces Garoppolo to bail. You end up in a third and seven. The Niners can't convert. On the next drive, you've got two false starts. Kittle and Brown, you end up with a third and 11. And then uh, on the, you've got a drop on second down that would have been a first. You've got a penalty for illegal touching, which is still one of my favorite penalties in the whole wide world. That's gotta definitely meet the first rule, of the drinking game. That oh, meets the Johnson rule. One hundred. Whenever, whenever the refs call it illegal touching, if you're not drinking because of the Johnson rule for the Better Rivals drinking game, you need to enact that right now. <laughs> um, you know, overall, it didn't seem like the Bears really went after Garoppolo. They didn't play a lot of pressure. They played coverage. There was only one play where they blitzed, uh, and it was moderately effective. Um, so, so what was it? I think, or what was it in your opinion that really contributed to the red zone woes? And then maybe bigger picture, what is it about this year's red zone offense that you think is so different from last year's? So as far as
0: this game, I don't know that like to me, nothing really stuck out that was a consistent thing was like, okay, each time they got in the red zone, they kind of failed in this one area. Right. And this is the one thing that they should kind of focus on to, to really clean things up in that regard um it it seemed to be kind of something a little bit different each time right like you mentioned sometimes it was uh it was a penalty sometimes it was you know uh, i had to miss a receiver because the pressure got there a little bit and i had to bail um so i missed an open guy that that i could have hit for a score um it was just kind of a little bit something different each time they got
1: there notice listeners that david is referring to himself in the eye as though he is the quarterback this is interesting projection from David right now. He's literally in the body of Jimmy Garoppolo. Hey, I
0: watched a lot. Of, I watched more Jimmy t- again today uh, to, to, to get through it. I mean, spending a lot of time. I plan on spending a lot of time with Jimmy Garoppolo. Oh, uh, that's, okay. all, that's all I'm
1: saying. Sorry, we're going to break the fourth <laughs> wall here a little bit. Uh, we, I just checked Twitter and David, who's basically our resident Photoshopper, uh, just tweeted me an uh, overtly sexual uh, oh, image with uh, Newman from Seinfeld. On the couch with Jimmy Garoppolo's <laughs> face, I'm I'm going to retweet this right now because this oh, is wow, this That's, is amazing. This is I don't know how we can make this the podcast art, but we're gonna make this the podcast art. Let's do this. I'm sorry, David. Do you think I, do you think iTunes will frown upon that? Uh, I don't think iTunes gives a shit. I mean, there's actually it's a, you're probably fair. It's literally a, a whole host of aggregated feeds that they don't monitor unless someone says this is offensive. <laughs> I don't think they care. None of you better mark that as offensive. Yeah. <laughs> That's
0: all that's all we're saying so um,
1: are you concerned at all by the penalties, though, because you've got like I'm not concerned by the eagle, by the illegal touching penalty, because that just is funny, but also it happens. like the dude set that out a bounds, he was trying to come back, like that's just bad luck, I think, or poor field awareness. But it's the false starts that that really that really are kind of the thing for me, because the hold you, you can kind of give the hold to pass because the hold was Trent Brown on the edge right. on a run that was meant to go inside that Hyde bounces outside. Like, you can't really fault Trump bound, Trent Brown for that. Not at all. But but it's it's really the false starts. And and the 49ers have been no, no you know, kind of opponent to penalties at this point. They are frequently penalized, and they always seem to come at, at inopportune times. And it's the false starts, I think, that are a little weird, because it's not like the crowd was loud.
0: Right. I mean, the crowd, you're, you're, uh, yeah, I mean, the Bears crowd isn't exactly uh, affecting games in the same way that, you know, Seattle is or something like that. Um, I don't, yeah, it. The penalty penalties are something that I think a lot of people like, especially offensive penalties, I feel like a a lot of times defensive penalties are kind of excused as is playing this this line between like aggressive defense, which is a really good thing to play um, and and just kind of flirting with it like Seattle, right? Seattle is always one of the more heavily penalized teams um, on on defense there. And it's because they are very aggressive in the secondary and, and they kind of play with that line right between getting penalized and doing just enough that they're not going to call it. Um, And and so you kind of forgive that stuff. Whereas I feel like offensive penalties tend to be uh, something that a lot of people look at as this like product of bad coaching, right? Obviously I don't think anybody is really concerned about Kyle Shanahan's ability to coach there. I don't really see it as a big deal. I I think it's something um, that's a little bit more random. I don't know how much consistency there is to that type of stuff. Um, I, I, don't really give it a second thought for the long
1: term yeah so i actually i was kind of interested about this because i think the disparity in red zone success considering the fact that i do think that kyle Shanahan's scheme is better than than chip kelly's i do think that but i i don't know that that necessarily describes that that kind of disparity so i, I actually reached out to jordan plocker who's a friend of the pod he's been on several times and, and he now does work for PFF, but he used to do a lot of red zone reports uh, before when he was trying to kind of get into to the whole you know, full-time football thing. And he did a lot of red zone work. And I asked him, hey, is there anything that you think that helps kind of not necessarily define a, a successful red zone offense, but the qualities of a good red zone offense? And, and he said, you know, it's, it's teams that generally focus around something and focus around their strength are the ones that generally perform well he did really in-depth breakdowns of the Niners and he said that you know when it was Jim Harbaugh it was a lot of put big guys on the line of scrimmage and maul him when we had a really really good offensive line or a fantastic running back and i think eventually that that turned into a lot of read option plays with Colin Kaepernick i think if you look at Seattle you've got those those zone read plays with Russell Wilson when yeah oh. I mean, those are just. if deadly. you
0: have a quarterback that can do that stuff down the red zone, I mean, it's just it's just murder for defense. Like, yeah, it's just so tough to defend down there.
1: He talked about you know uh, how the Arizona Cardinals eventually became a David Johnson centric red zone offense, uh, and how if you've got you know a uh, Dirk Cotter, he was uh, an offense that was built around the X receiver, and, and so every team kind of focuses around a thing. I think the Patriots, of course, it's it's Gronkowski um, or really Brady, uh, and so. I think maybe the the red zone performance is is just the fact that the Niners don't have that thing quite yet. Yeah, You know, maybe they've got Carlos Hyde, you know, but that's pretty much it. And it's not like the offensive line is doing them a ton of favors.
0: Right. And even when you zoom out a little bit, even from from the stuff that Jordan's talking about there, the best red zone offenses just tend to be the best offenses. Right. Like, um, it's because they have that kind of thing to build around, right? The thing that, that kind of makes them unique or that that, that allows them to go. Um, I There there aren't very many teams that, you know, are bad between the 20s and, and kind of, you know, suck the rest of the time, and they all of a sudden get in the red zone and are great. And I think it, when that happens, a lot of times it's not sustainable, right? We didn't get to see multiple years of Chip Kelly. But I think there's a good chance that if we saw him and that same offense and and a lot of the same personnel come back that we, we wouldn't have been as good in the red zone, right? Because you, you get fewer opportunities there. And so it tends to be, uh, you know, subject to a little bit more randomness than you, when, when you're between the twenties, that's where most of your plays occur. So if you're good there, most of the time that's going to carry through to the rest
1: of it. And that's why last year was so interesting to me. The fact that we ended up second in, in touchdown efficiency, rate, It was very, very weird. So you know, I think overall, you look at what the Niners have focused on in the red zone. George Kittle has 11 targets in the red zone, leads the team. And that's despite the fact that he missed part of Week 9 and all of Week 10. Carlos Hyde has nine targets. Marquise Goodwin has eight. There really isn't a marquee kind of red zone threat. And it's not like the the line of scrimmage could get moved by that offensive line. I mean, you're not really going to saddle <laughs> yeah. up behind Lincoln Tomlinson and, and Kilgore, right? So, So it's definitely something that... You know, I wouldn't say it's concerning for the long term, but it was just an interesting blip that kind of came on the radar. Yeah,
0: I think right now we're at the point with a lot of things, you know, with uh, with this offense and with Jimmy Garoppolo is is we need to see more. Right. We need more reps before we start to have a good feel like each game gives us a little bit, uh, you know, a small piece of that picture. Um, And right now, with what they went through in the red zone in this game, again, nothing really stuck out, at least to me uh, from a consistency standpoint so it's we you know on to the next game and we kind of build that that portfolio of plays that we see from him there uh and and, you know either a like something is going to eventually stick out as kind of a a sore thumb that that bites them every single time um they get into the red zone or you know they're going to get it corrected and everything's going to be fine
1: true or false jimmy garoppolo scores a zone read rushing touchdown this year this year uh i mean cj cj kaepernick's done it like twice (laughs) I'm going to go false. I'm going to go false. All right. right. Protecting the investment. I get it. It's cool. I get it. Uh, All right. Last thing that we think is that Vic Fangio brought out the bag of tricks against his former team because the Bears did a couple of things that were unique and new that we hadn't seen before. Don't watch enough Bears film to know if these were consistent things from the Bears, but at the very least, they were things that were effective against the 49ers and not things that we had seen. More specifically, it was the way that they aligned their bear front. So the Bears played... A bare front. Hey, Look at that. but it was a really interesting modification to that bare front. They played their defensive tackles over the guards, but the over the center, which is usually the third person that's covered in a bare front, you had the linebacker that was actually off the ball. And what it did is it forced the center in outside zone plays to have to go up and get that linebacker. But the fact that that linebacker was off the ball made it nearly impossible for the center to get up there. I mean, that's an impossible block for a Kilgore to make. Yeah. Whether or not you think Kilgore is a good offensive lineman, it doesn't matter if that, li- if that center is Alex Mack. He's not going to get to a linebacker that's four yards off the line of scrimmage on an outside zone play. It's just yeah. not going to happen.
0: Especially, I mean, when he doesn't have really a clean, so when, when you have, so again, that bear or, or like double eagle, you'll hear a call to it. Like really what that's referring to is your three interior linemen are covered up. They have somebody directly over them. Um, and, and a lot of teams will do that. I mean, it messes with the run game, right? It, it requires just kind of completely different blocks than you, you're, well, you you're lose a double team at the point goal. of attack. Yeah. I mean, you, you lose a lot of like, whether, whether you're doing zone stuff or whether you're doing, uh, more like power counter gap type schemes. Um, it, it just kind of changes the way that you have to approach that offensively and, the way that you're setting up your blocks. Um, and so when you had like, basically what they were doing is, is you have the guards and the tackles covered up. They would go through, even though the, the Bears are kind of a base 3-4 team, they would put four D linemen whenever the Niners would go into kind of base personnel. Um, they put four D linemen there. They'd cover up both the guards and the tackles and then have that backer off, like you mentioned. And it just made it, so So not only does Kilgore have to you know kind of run and reach that second level uh, you know, reach block there, which is already a tough thing in any front, right? That's a tough block for a center to make. Um, he has to kind of weave. He has to he has to take a weird angle to get there because he can't run. You know, the guard is covered up right next to him and is not engaged with somebody, so he can't really take the best possible angle to make that block. Uh, and it's just really tough. And, and I think when you saw the 49ers' run game struggle in this one, uh, it was because the Bears had free linebackers. Right, they had unblocked guys and a lot like of it had Kewi- to do with that
1: he is that his name?
0: Kiwakowski. Yeah, something like that. Uh, 44. Um, and then this also is, This is uh, you, this,
1: this is why you come to the Better Rivals podcast for pronunciation guides. <laughs> uh Kewikowski is what we're going to go with. Uh, but yeah, it, White it was dude linebacker number 44 basically is uh is is
0: what we're going to go with. Basically.
1: So um, it, it was interesting because The you would think to yourself, you know, oh, my God, the the Bears made such a great play. And uh, I remember when I watched that game live, I was like, okay, well, like that's just what the hell happened. I I thought it was all just because of the delay on on this is specifically the play where Carlos Hyde fumbles the pitch and ends up getting dropped for a seven yard loss in the red zone. I thought to myself, oh, crap, that's on Carlos Hyde just because he fumbled the snap. If he had better hands, he'd be able to get the pitch and hit the edge. But. It turns out that they had a free linebacker running straight at Carlos Hyde, and even if he catches that ball in stride, chances are that that play goes for no gain, yeah Simply- I mean maybe
0: you don't lose seven, but you're you're not likely getting unless he just you know is able to make an uh, kind of a freakish sure. play yeah i mean
1: you're 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 not gaining positive yardage. exactly there. exactly so i mean definitely fangio brought out a couple of tricks against his old team and, and he varied those formations in the first quarter i mean in the first quarter the bears threw a lot of different things at the 49ers yeah. and what was curious was that they didn't continue them over the course of the game or at the very least they couldn't continue them because the niners just stopped putting base personnel out there <laughs>
0: yeah so i think there was i mean in that first quarter you saw a lot of different stuff right it was not only that that kind of uh you know stacked box essentially with with uh the the modified bear front there um they were they were stunting a lot and they they kind of caused some uh some bust early on on some of the zone plays and you did see them adjust to that i mean in in the i think it was the first quarter it was either first quarter or early second quarter. Um, There was a play where, like, Akeem Hicks came basically unblocked and was able to make uh, a tackle for loss or tackle for no gain um, on on a zone play, and it was because of kind of a bus between Kilgore and Fusco, where they just didn't get adjusted to the slant properly. And then you saw them later on in the game; they ran that same exact stunt against uh, basically the same exact type of formation, uh, and they adjusted and they picked it up and, and and were able to block it a lot better. And so you saw them adjust to it over the game, but um it was a, a weird thing because the, the way that you got them out of that was running out of like 11 personnel right putting three receivers on there running against a lighter box all of a sudden you, you can't keep those four d linemen on the on the field because the bears being a base 3-4 team all their d linemen are basically like big run stuff huge ginormous guys. dudes yeah so so you don't want four of those guys on the field uh when you have three receivers that you have to cover so they I, I thought that that was something that they probably could have done a little bit more is is go to more 11 personnel uh, and, and try to run the ball out of that against some lighter boxes. But you did at least see them. I thought that was was kind of a cool to see the, just the adjustment process over the course of the game um, and, and
1: see them pick up some of those stunts and things that they were doing up front a little bit better. So that's by and large the game recap, and and believe it or not, our spotlight player for the game, despite the fact that this is clearly a Jimmy G podcast, (laughs) despite that, the spotlight player is not going to be Jimmy Garoppolo. We think we've given him enough coverage. The spotlight shines great on one Mr. Jimmy Garoppolo. But the spotlight for us this week is going to go on preseason favorite. Man. The grittiest of gritty. (laughs) He brings his hard hat to work, maybe even stuffed inside of his lunch pail. One coach's son Uh, played his MJ game. His Michael Jordan game flew before the game. Trent Taylor (laughs) Uh, in Chicago. It's just too perfect. right? It's too perfect. Headlines write themselves. Trent Um, Taylor. He caught all six of his targets for 92 yards. Uh, He had four of those uh, and 72 yards out of the slot. Every single reception was converted for a first down. Five of those receptions came on third down Uh, his 86.9 grade. Was his best of the year and fourth best given to a wide receiver on the week, and he gets a one hundred. Actually, I would say he gets a ten, a perfect (laughs) ten. When it comes to the fact that he looks just like (laughs) Tweeter from Varsity Blues.
0: Oh God, it's so per. I mean the 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 dude balled out this week. I mean this was was kind of this was what we expected. He just has the ability to separate in the middle of the field. It's there. It's been there all season. Um, we just haven't had... I thought that you know Hoyer would maybe be a little bit better at taking advantage of this, um, but apparently he didn't get enough of that New England gene to be able to find the shifty slot receiver in the middle of the field very often. Um, and, and I think just being able to see Trent and Jimmy kind of get on the same page so quickly uh, and, and be able to... you know Again, all six targets, every single time they threw him the ball, he was able to pull it in for a catch that converted a first down. Um, I, I think it was just really impressive. And this is kind of the Trent Taylor again. He's not, um, we said this, you know, I think a couple of weeks ago, you, you know, you're not building your offense around Trent Taylor, right? He's not that kind of guy, but he is a very valuable piece of your passing game. Somebody that can separate in the middle of the field that can help you convert some of those third downs. Uh, and, and I think this was kind of, uh, this, this was exactly what we had envisioned for Trent Taylor, right? In the precinct, like this is the stuff that he can do. Uh, and it was just kind of great to see that come to fruition.
1: Incidentally, Trent Taylor is a slant route machine. So this year so far, when Trent Taylor has run a slant and 49ers quarterbacks have thrown the ball to him, they've completed 10 out of 10 of those passes for 129 yards. I mean, that is, that's all you can ask for, for a dude running a slant out of the slot, which is. A uh, trio of words that is difficult to say together without slurring, slurring them. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, but the, the, maybe the best part about Trent Taylor this week was the fact that, you know, friend of the pod, Matt Barrows, tried to bait Jimmy Garoppolo into the white wide receiver comparison. And Eric Branch piles on. And he, and he, throws the, he just throws the bomb. He's like, all right, so he like Amendola or Edelman. And I, <laughs> I think not only is Jimmy Garoppolo good at football, but he's also good at press conferences. More like Edelman or Amidol. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> it's more like a Randy Moss right <laughs> now. <laughs> no, he's, he's a really good player, though. There you have it. Trent it's, Taylor. That's, that's actually maybe my favorite
0: thing about Jimmy Garoppolo so far was the, uh, the, the Randy Moss comment there. Just, Trent
1: Taylor? Perfect. perfect. Randy Moss. <laughs> Put it in the bank. All right, so that wraps up our coverage. The things that we think for the game against the Bears. The win Wednesday, Jimmy G is absolutely dreamy. He's got great processing skills, throws well on the move, uh, has uh, some quote-unquote arm talent. I'm doing air quotes, but this is you know radio <laughs> slash podcast, so you can't see that. Uh, but he didn't have a lot of bad, uh, bad or terrible throws. He took advantage of what was there which is not always something that can be said for most quarterbacks. We still want to see what he does outside the numbers, and and it's definitely one of the more promising starts, even if it wasn't as flashy as the Colin Kaepernick 2012 start against the Bears. We wish we had a little bit better red zone offense, but it's not something that we're too worried about considering the fact that the offense in general isn't something to write home about, and Vic Fangio brought out some bag of tricks that schematically gave the 49ers some problems, even if they adjusted a little bit later. So let's get to the rundown. These are the little tidbits from the game or the interweek stories that we think are important. I'm going to go ahead and kick kick us off this week. And that is that we only had one three and out in this game. And technically, it was an interception, not even a punt. Yeah. So to that, we say dilly dilly. Dilly dilly. Uh, DeForest Buckner, second straight
0: bad game, which I say kind of bad also in in air quotes a little bit. I think we just haven't really seen uh, him kind of make the plays. We were missing the positive plays, right? And so you look at his overall PFF grade for the game. uh, Certainly wasn't great. I think uh, I I forget the finalized version, but it was around like 30, 40. um, So not good. But really, it was it was only one kind of negatively graded play is the lack of positive plays. This was the first time all season that he failed to record either a quarterback pressure or a stop in the run game. Um, it was also the first time that he played fewer than 50 snaps. And so I think that's definitely a product of it. Only 26 snaps in this game. And so when you look at the kind of the overall hit to his, his grade for the season, it, it barely makes a dent in it. So he's, he's been somebody that's kind of flirting around 90 for most of the season. He's only down to 88.2. So again, not really a bad game from DeForest Buckner, but we're just, haven't seen him in the last couple of weeks, make the sort of impact plays, uh, that we got used to early on in the season.
1: Joe Staley made the pro football focus team of the week. His 86.9 grade versus a pretty decent Bears front uh, was very, very, very good. He did not allow a pressure on 40 pass attempts. One minor quibble I think I have with that is that one play, and actually the play where Jimmy Garoppolo makes that ridiculous throw to Trent Taylor, where he throws kind of his, his arm from the side and is able to do so with pressure in his face. Was basically because Joe Staley didn't handle a stunt all the way correctly. Um, like he doesn't get into the he doesn't get into the player that Tomlinson's at, which doesn't allow Tomlinson to get off of his dude to handle the center, which is the guy that eventually gets into to Jimmy Garoppolo. So it's a bit of a chain reaction there. But ultimately, I think that was probably Joe Staley's assignment that was missed. He he, it's because Joe Staley is thinking about the cornerback that's coming in, but you gotta let that guy come in hot. That's the guy that the quarterbacks got to got to account for that. that, And so that's my only quibble with the rating. But even then, Joe Staley is, you know, we've we've made the comment here several times that he is on the decline. And I still think that's true. But he still flashes, you know, what Joe Staley was a couple of years ago. And that is one of the elite tackles in the NFL. He's still able to flash that against fronts that, you know, the, the Chicago front's not bad. So I think it was definitely a notable performance, one to take note of, uh, and it's good to see that Joe Staley is is doing some good things.
0: Robbie Gold had maybe the, you know, Trent Taylor obviously was a very good story, him being uh, sick and putting together the performance that he did. But I think Robbie Gold probably uh, takes the cake in that regard, was able to come back to Chicago after they cut him, uh, make all five field goals, including the game winner there, and... He became the first player to win one of the NFL Player of the Week awards. So they give him out every week, right, for offense, defense, special teams. Became the first 49ers player to win one of those awards since Chris Borland in week 11 of 2004. That is a a, a long time ago. It feels like a very long time ago.
1: Yeah, and also time travel because it was 2014, not 2004.
0: Oh, sorry. Yeah, but there's a one in there, right? It's almost like the same thing, 2014, yeah. 20- for
1: yeah our yeah Chris Borland man I still, still, uh, it still hurts. Yeah, yeah that's
0: yeah so so crazy that it's been that long since we've had a player kind of worthy of and, and it's like look you can obviously take issue with uh how well they're picking those players but uh it, it's it's been a while since we've had some players to to really be in consideration for that type of stuff
1: Brock Coyle is like when you date someone that looks like your ex and has the same name but like just isn't the same and the only reason you're doing it is because you miss your ex like that's The that's, initials are switched. Yeah. You right? know, yeah.
0: it's just like B.C. is not quite the same. Yeah, as It's not it's not yeah. quite the
1: same. You know, it doesn't never mind my dyslexia. It's not it's not why it's not the same. It just it feels different. It feels different, David. All right. So last up in the rundown is DVOA update. Of course, this is football outsiders defense adjusted value over average. Uh, Overall, we're 27th. We're up two spots. Yay! Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo effect. On offense, we're 26th. On defense, we are 30th. Special teams only drop one position down to 12, even though we had a Devin Hester-ish moment with Tariq Cohen, uh, which was a pretty good kick in the pants, not going to lie.
0: Wasn't wasn't their best moment
1: this season. No, definitely wasn't. So uh, that wraps up our coverage. Let's look forward to the game against the Houston Texans. It's gonna be the the Aparicio Bowl because Mrs. Aparicio is a Texans fan, and I clearly am not. So, are you sure? Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty sure. I'm, don't <laughs> get me wrong. I love the Texans. I love Deshaun Watson. It sucks that he hurt his knee. I hate it. Deonta Foreman. Yep. Love Deonta Foreman. Went to Texas. Hook him. I love a lot of what is happening with Houston. But yep. whenever we come in conflict, it's time. To, it's just time to smash him. Let's do this. <laughs>
0: Um. So I think the the kind of first thing that I'm looking forward to watching this game is is really uh Jimmy Garoppolo and Trent Taylor having another opportunity to uh, just kind of continue to be awesome like we saw last week. I mean I think really defensively there's a couple things that set up very well for the both of them. And I think first starting with Garoppolo, that's the the Texans play action defense. So. Um, One of the things that we looked at, you know, I think I believe we mentioned on the podcast, I know I mentioned it in my preview last week was one of the few things that that uh, Garoppolo didn't really do all that well during that two game stretch in New England as the starter last year um, was his play action performance. He had the fourth worst passer rating with play action during those first two games. uh, and, And it was kind of something that was like, all right, this is probably a small sample size thing, not too concerned about it, but you want to see him do a little bit better. Well, he did a little bit better against the Bears. Yeah, a, a little okay. bit. Just a little bit. Went eight of eight for 105 yards, uh, which is uh, just a cool 13.1 yards per attempt um, on play action there, is which was the, the third best in the
1: week. So that's, that's good.
0: Pretty good. Uh, and goes up against a Texans defense that is the worst against play action this season. So they're giving up a uh, basically 134 pass rating, uh, which is the worst by a pretty considerable margin uh, when offenses use play action a lot of 11 touchdowns, also the worst, and 11 yards per attempt, which is, you guessed it, also the worst. And and the worst by a pretty good margin. There's only one other team that's even allowing 10 yards per attempt on play action this season. So you have that that sets up very well for Garoppolo and should allow him to kind of continue that success. And then when you look to Trent Taylor, uh, and and obviously what he's doing, spending most of his time in the slot, the Texans' uh, primary slot cornerback, Kareem Jackson, Really hasn't been uh, very, very good this season. So 46.1 coverage grade, uh, which is 96th out of 117 qualifying cornerbacks. Um, and he's allowing a 123 pass rating when quarterbacks target him in slot coverage this season, uh, which is the sixth worst out of 50 qualifying slot corners. Not very good. Um, so those two guys coming off, you know, uh, very good games, obviously, against the Bears, should have an opportunity to continue that, that type of success
1: this week. Do you think this is the week that we see RPOs from Jimmy Garoppolo? Because run pass options are oh. something that we've done with, we did them with Hoyer, and we did them with Bethard. Yeah, and, and I mean,
0: though, like in the grand scheme, like they're almost non-existent. We have one of the lowest. Uh, I think there's we're, we're talking like barely double digits on the season in terms of RPO. Um, this was something I looked at for another team recently, and of course had to had to check out the Niners. Um, yeah, they're they're down there in terms of fewest RPOs run this season. Um, I, I just think it's not something that Kyle Shanahan, maybe it's the personnel that they have, I don't know, but um, it doesn't seem to be something that he's too concerned about including.
1: Interesting. Well, I think the thing that I'll be watching is how the Houston Texans adjust to Jimmy Garoppolo. Of course, there's always that that kind of initial honeymoon period where quarterbacks just... No one knows how to really defend them. And, and that eventually the more tape people get on a quarterback, the more they're able to defend him. And I think the tape, at least after the Bears game on Garoppolo, is that he's going to do almost all of his work in the short and intermediate areas and between the numbers. He only had two attempts, traveling more than 20 yards in the air, and only four attempts outside the numbers, traveling 10 or more yards in the air. So do we see the Houston Texans run more cover one because cover one ultimately gets more coverage in the middle of the field and it forces the quarterback to go towards the edges. And if you're the Houston Texans, you think to yourself, well, Hey, I might actually try to clog up that middle of the field, take away what Jimmy Garoppolo does well and force him to beat us at the edges and maybe try and expose some of his arm strength. Well, The thing about the Texans is that they play the second highest percentage of cover one at 41%. They already play a ton of cover one. So even if this isn't in their game plan, they're probably just going to play a ton of cover one. So it's going to be interesting to see how Jimmy Garoppolo actually adjusts to that. You've got 24 of Garoppolo's 37 attempts that have come against zone coverage. And now you're going to go up against a team where they're playing primarily man coverage. So it's going to be interesting to see if Jimmy Garoppolo has a bad game. Because if he has a bad game against the Houston Texans defense that primarily plays cover 1, I think you might be able to see the the introduction or chapter 1 of the book being written against Jimmy Garoppolo and how you defend him.
0: Definitely. This was something uh again that Zach Robinson mentioned on on the PFF podcast in terms of uh you know, maybe expecting defenses cuz when you look at cover 1 right and what that does Obviously, you have the deep center, you know, the center fielder there, the free safety playing that that kind of deep middle of the field. But typically, unless you're bringing extra rushers, you also kind of have an extra defender um, in the short area, the short intermediate area that can kind of roam around that eighth guy in the box. Yeah. And jump, um, you know, some of those crossing routes and some of the, the stuff in the middle of the field there. And then on the outside, you usually have your cornerbacks playing with inside leverage. So they want to try to take away, you know, the slants and the in breaking routes from the outside and force those guys outside toward the sideline. And, and those are the lowest percentage throws right across the league, um, you know, kind of league average. You throw, you know, deep intermediate outside the numbers. Those are the lowest percentage throws, you know, the quarterback is going to make. So if you can force a quarterback out there, that's always going to be good for you. Uh, you know, in, in Garoppolo's case, it seems like that might be especially so. We We need to see him again, continue to, uh, get more reps out there, throwing more of those passes and kind of see how he handles it. But that's definitely something I think not only in this game with the Texans playing a lot of that coverage anyway, but, but going forward over the rest of the season, seeing if teams do that type of stuff to force him into those throws.
1: So the next thing we'll be looking at is whether or not the offensive line can keep Garoppolo clean for another week. Against the Bears, which is a team that struggled to put pressure on the quarterback, Garoppolo was only pressured on 25% of his dropbacks. That's the fourth lowest rate on the week. Joe Staley and Lincoln Tomlinson both had clean sheets and pass protection. Trent Brown was the only offensive lineman to allow multiple pressures. He allowed two hits. Uh, we'll call it the shoulder problem. The Texans pressure rate, though, is 31.6%. That's the fifth lowest. Another team that doesn't pressure the quarterback a whole hell of a lot. So, Curious as to whether or not the 49ers offensive line is going to be able to keep Garoppolo clean because, again, we've talked – I feel like that's been one of the themes of this season is that pressure affects games. And when you pressure a quarterback, you can take him from Tom Brady level to you know Blaine Gabbert level unless you're Tom Brady, in which case you just become a slightly worse Tom Brady, (laughs) which is still like the second best quarterback in the league. So, you know, at the end of the day, whether or not the the 49ers are going to be able to keep Garoppolo clean is going to be important because – we've seen Garoppolo make some really solid plays under pressure. We talked about how he was able to change his arm angle and and get the ball out, some of which were awesome to Trent Taylor, some of which were ill-advised to Lewis Murphy despite the the, the completion. But it'll be interesting to see whether or not, especially uh, Clowney, who is he going to play? Because I feel like he's been injured the last week or two. I'll look it up. That
0: yeah, that I'm um, that I'm not sure of. Um I I think he should be playing. I know he's played he's a little there. bit better um you know over the kind of the second since their bye week. I know that he's uh, been a little bit better getting after the passer than he was early on. Uh, I think pressure is also going to be kind of a theme on the other side of the ball as well though. I mean uh, the the Texans offensive line has been probably the worst in, in football this season. Um been really really bad. They're you look at the you know Q- QBs and getting pressured. The two most pressured quarterbacks this season are Deshaun Watson and Tom Savage, um, both Houston Texans. In case you were you were questioning, um, they. I mean, in in terms of uh, the PFF grading, they're they're dead last in pass block grading. They're second to last in run block grading. Um, this is a very very poor offensive line. So I think one of the things that I'm hoping for is is sort of a rebound game for DeForest Buckner and and really kind of the the defensive line as a whole. Right? You look at Uh, we talk a lot about expectations and and, and kind of what players are doing relative to what should be expected of them, not only in in assignments and, uh, you know, level of play, like all that type of stuff. This is a game where from a defensive line standpoint, the expectation should be that they come out and have a very good game against a unit that's been really, really bad this year. Um, But just because DeForest Buckner, again, hasn't really been making uh, the same sort of impact plays lately that we saw from him over the first, you know, I don't know, 10 like games of the season. Um, I, I kind of am expecting and hoping to see a, a rebound game from him. They even have a former Seahawk on the offensive line to make him feel right at home. Yeah. Uh, Gia Camini. Gia Yeah. Breno. I think Breno is his first name. Whatever. Right tackle. He's probably not going to see a lot of them. But, hey, you can look over there and be like, I know you. I beat you before. It's going to be cool.
1: Yeah. The the offensive line for the, the Texans, Allen, Suofilo, Martin, Man and Giacomini. Some dumb names. On yeah, that's is. a lot. Of con- Other than
0: Martin, you know, props to Martin Allen. Um, that's for a lot of consonants very, in that right guard's name. Very. Uh, Just going to go names. ahead and put
1: that out there. Uh, yeah, yeah, their offensive line. If this game is is set up for a Niners victory at the end, like when, when you think about what what the Niners do well and what really, really screws them up. This is a game that's set up for the Niners to do really well because their offensive line is bad. That means they can get a lot of pressure on a quarterback that doesn't do well under pressure. And now we're not taking Tom Brady down to Blaine Gabbert level. We're, talk- we're talking like – we're taking Blaine Gabbert down to like Brock Osweiler level. The Tom Savage level. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which I feel <laughs> – he's he had, down there. With uh, a name like Tom's. like I feel like there are some names that you have such an opportunity to, to be amazing. Like could you imagine if you were such a great quarterback and your name were Tom Savage – I mean, it, it's a little bit like Colt McCoy in college. He was a beast and his name was Colt McCoy and he played quarterback for Texas. It's like, yeah, of course your name is Colt. Yeah, I mean, that's good. Yeah. You know, like it's the, hard uh, to beat that. One. Yeah, exactly. But then I feel like Tom Savage had such an opportunity and he squandered it by being bad at football. <laughs>
0: um, so I think the one thing that he has going for him, the, the one thing in Tom Savage's corner uh, is DeAndre Hopkins,
1: DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Nook.
0: who continues to be just a, a complete monster despite uh alarmingly bad quarterback play outside of Deshaun watson he is
1: the best contested catch receiver i think i've ever seen like he's up there yeah like overall i think when it comes to you're in my way and there's a ball and it's a 50 50 ball there's just there's there's never a time where i just don't see him completely dominate that situation it's ridiculous um he's he's obviously
0: i mean the deep route is kind of where he's made his money and i think that's um, something, obviously he's, uh, I think a very complete receiver. I think he does a lot of things well. Um, but that deep ball is something that you really have to be aware of and on your toes for, um, 27 targets on just straight go routes, right? Going deep down the field. Um, that is his most targeted route also has been very, very dangerous on post routes this year. Um, isn't something that he sees a lot of targets on only eight total targets, but he's caught six of those. And four of them have been for touchdowns. So it's something that you have to make sure that that you uh, take away. This is going to be something you know. Adrian Colbert is going to need to be uh, there and able to make plays in this. So I think just in general, uh, if you can slow him down, right? If you can prevent him from having a monster game, they don't have a lot else offensively, right? You're not relying again. The offensive line is bad, which means uh, you know you're not really expecting to get a ton out of the run game there. They don't really have any other. Uh, I mean, Bruce Ellington, who has. Uh, kind of excited to see, you know. Uh, I was really come. pumped
1: to see Ellington in uh, his revenge game.
0: He's he's not going to get a play, it looks like. So they, they, I mean, they really don't have a lot of other weapons in the passing game that you're going to. Uh, it, it's okay. Do we find a way to slow down DeAndre Hopkins and not let him completely kill us? Um, and if so, I mean, I think they have an opportunity to be pretty good defensively in this game and 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 kind of put themselves in a good spot.
1: Yeah, I mean, his his worst games were really in, in October against Kansas City and Cleveland. And of course, Kansas City has Marcus Peters uh, and Cleveland. I mean, I, I don't know why that happened the way that it happened, but he only had four targets for 19 receiving yards and nine and a half yards and a touchdown. Uh, everything else has been, you know, pretty good. Everything. I, good Lord, he had 224 receiving yards in that game against Seattle. That game... I'm going to watch that game in the offseason like four times just Dude. because.
0: Yeah. It's, um, it's like
1: the rerun of games that you want to watch. I'm just all like, year.
0: you know, waiting for Deshaun Watson to come back. Like need to make myself feel better.
1: I know. You know? I know. But yeah, so, DeAndre Hopkins is gonna, it, what's interesting, I think, is that he's going to line up mostly on, on the side that Dante Johnson's going to be on. And I, I'm going to I hope that I can see several snaps of him versus Akella Witherspoon, because I think that's going to be a good test for Akella Witherspoon. Akella Witherspoon is is our best corner we've said that for a couple of weeks now but it's difficult to know whether or not Akella Witherspoon is our best corner or whether or not he's a good corner <laughs> like, and, and those are two very different things right because you can say okay he is a good corner if he were to be transplanted to any team in the NFL versus he just happens to be our best corner yeah. and our corners are pretty shitty so he's just <laughs> the best of shit. You know, I, I I very much think that he's better than that. I do think yeah. that he is a quality corner, but I'm still excited to see what he can do against one of I think one of the better receivers in the NFL, especially Absolutely. a receiver at his height and weight. Because at six one two ten, he's not a little receiver, and he plays. I think DeAndre Hopkins plays bigger than he is.
0: Yeah, I mean, between you know the the vertical and and just I mean, it seems like he's got those long arms that just go up and over the top of guys. Uh, yeah, he's he's going to be a tough matchup for anyone. Um, it would definitely be nice to see, you know, Akello get some snaps there and, and to see him do well. Um, I think, you know, yeah, he probably lands a little bit right now in the middle of those two kind of scenarios that you outlined and, you know, the good corner, the good for us. Um, it, but, but obviously we're excited, and optimistic about his skills in general and, and kind of, you know, where he can go from a development standpoint. So just you know getting to see again all we're doing right now we have um, one month left right four games left and it's it's a lot of young guys on this roster that's getting a lot of playing time and it's just trying to kind of get a a better idea of what these guys are going to be which ones we can really build around going forward and and which ones we probably need to look to replace
1: well that about does it for this week's episode the overtly sexual pod we uh, only had one g-spot reference uh, but we did reference the, yeah. we did reference okay. the Johnson rule which is important uh, of the no. better Rivals drinking game. Of course if you're not sure if you're not familiar with the game uh, go on my, on my Twitter page it's pinned at the top but the Johnson rule is if something sounds dirty but it really isn't then everyone drinks in the house uh, and you get and, it because Johnson is is kind
0: of also like a penis.
1: yes the the, the rule originated when when we had a parish Cox and dante johnson in the same backfield good times uh defensive backfield yeah remember those days Parish cox yeah uh cox Tr- rising was Tr- the hashtag man that was good That's those were the better ones those were the days man those <laughs> were the days uh for those of you that made it this far you must like us i guess so, I so leave leave a review on itunes it helps other people discover the show and it helps us really feel better about ourselves whenever we're down or sad uh, we're gonna go read those and it's gonna be awesome so, <laughs> so make me feel worse so thank you for that thank you for that uh, we will uh, come back at you next week with another episode of the Better Rivals podcast you can always follow us on Twitter for our midweek musings you can follow me at Better Rivals where you'll get a lot of the video of the plays that we've been talking about this week David where can they follow you it's gonna be at Newman NFL in diddly doodly so that does it for this week and as always go go Niners